Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, January 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state leaders move to make the coronavirus vaccine more accessible to older residents as COVID-19 transmission and hospitalizations continue to soar. Plus, on the opening day of the new legislative session, we preview the major issues like teacher salaries and the state income tax with our analysts. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. State leaders in Mississippi are deviating from CDC recommendations to make the coronavirus vaccine more accessible to the state's older residents. Governor Tate Reeves says the state and the nation is beyond the point of using the hand of government to restrict individuals and should focus its efforts on vaccine distribution. During a press briefing yesterday, Reeves indicated getting vaccine to the most in need is the best way to prevent hospital strain and death. Right now... The most important task that we have is getting vaccines out to the public. That is our only way out of all of this. Of course, I still believe that everyone should continue to take social distancing seriously. But at this point, as a country, we need to stop trying to run people's daily lives through government orders and start focusing on getting the vaccine out to as many people as possible. Individual Mississippians can reasonably take steps to protect themselves and make informed decisions about risk in their lives. They cannot procure, they cannot distribute, and they cannot administer the vaccine. Only we can. And we need to focus our attention on doing just that. And I will tell you that is exactly what we are doing and that is exactly what we are focused on. Admittedly, it's going slower than I had hoped. It's gone slower than I think everyone would have hoped. It's gone slower in Mississippi and it's gone slower across the country than any of us wanted. But it is underway, it is ramping up, and we just need to step on the gas. Mississippi, like much of the nation, is experiencing a slower rollout of the vaccine than originally anticipated. Reeves suggests this is a result of navigating CDC guidelines and is expanding initial vaccine eligibility to older residents. In my mind, part of the reason for the holdups is the CDC decision to hold back and focus on who 
should be getting the vaccine? And who should get it first? We need to move fast, and we need to get it out there. We don't need to analyze and prioritize for months and months on end, all the while debating of who is more deserving than someone else. One decision that we discussed and ultimately made this morning, we're going to start allowing vulnerable Mississippians to have access sooner than might have otherwise occurred. Starting next week, those over the age of 75 will have access to the vaccine. Starting a week after that, those over the age of 65 will have access to the vaccine. We're launching more vaccination sites. We know that we cannot afford delays in protecting those who are at the greatest risk. We must focus on saving lives. And we know that those over the age of 65 are more vulnerable than those of us under 65. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs acknowledges the rollout is slower than he'd hoped. He attributes this to a reassignment of the Pfizer vaccine to long-term care facilities. He says it's vital for those working with vulnerable populations to get vaccinated. We are a bit behind where we wanted to be. Um, Part of it, uh, we did have to move a good portion of our Pfizer allocation from week one over toward long-term care so we could activate that plan. And so that's about 13,000 doses that we didn't have to work with on the week of December 14th. Most hospitals got the majority of the Moderna vaccine right before Christmas, like the 22nd or 23rd. So a lot of this dosage that we have was actually we just got recently, so it's not like we've been sitting on it. Um, The hospitals have been doing a great job getting it out. They've been fantastic partners. They're continuing to give a lot out, not only to their own folks, but also other medical providers in their community. There also is a delay in reporting. We know that. And so any numbers that we have are going to be a little bit delayed. When we talk about long-term care, people who are residents of long-term care catch coronavirus from employees. The visitation is pretty limited and safe. The employees are the mechanism through which folks can get COVID in nursing homes. So it's so very important for people who work in long-term care settings, work in nursing homes, to go ahead and get vaccinated now. It's safe. It's effective. I've had it. My wife has had it. Uh, She's a critical care doctor. And my son, who's a medical student working in surgery, got it too. So obviously I believe in it. And I, and I really think and would admonish everyone who's working in healthcare, especially if you're with old folks, to please get the vaccine. The amended vaccine distribution plan comes as the state experiences its highest level of COVID-19 related hospitalizations and ICU occupancy. Dr. Dobbs fears another surge is imminent following the holiday season. Uh, we do strongly anticipate another surge following the holidays. It's kind of been a recurring theme. It's not something that should be too surprising. And this is also uh, occurring when we have full ICU rooms. Our hospitals are are really overburdened. So please be very careful. Those things that we do, that we know work, still work. So please wear a mask in public, avoid social gatherings, keep it small and keep it outdoors. If we look at our hospitalizations, we do have the highest number of COVID patients in the ICU at 355 on the latest report from yesterday. We have 1,369 COVID patients in the hospital right now in Mississippi. That's a phenomenal number. And we have seen a gradual decline 
in the number of uh, non-COVID patients in intensive care, part of the efforts we took you know, to decrease it in the efforts of hospitals, a 6% decline in a week. I would like to say thank you to folks working in hospitals, ERs, ICUs across the state. Um, I see it every day. I've been visiting hospitals and seeing what's going on with them. They are stressed. So, you know, be patient if you're waiting in the ICU, in the ER, because it may take many, many hours to get care. Um, but most of all, stay safe and don't need an ER or ICU if you can help it. And, and please try not to get coronavirus. December was the state's most severe month of the pandemic with over 63,000 reported cases of COVID-19 and 981 related deaths. Coming up, we preview the major issues of the legislative session beginning today in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. State lawmakers will gavel in at noon today for the beginning of the legislative session. Last year began with promises of teacher pay raises and comprehensive criminal justice reform high on the priority list. But the coronavirus pandemic disrupted regular business, including an outbreak at the Capitol, causing the session to continue on and off until October. Now, with transmission of the coronavirus at an alarming rate, lawmakers are considering how to approach business this session. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman has been publicly vocal about suspending the majority of the session until March 1st. House leadership has not shown signs of being receptive to the idea. Austin Barber is a Republican strategist. Brandon Jones is a former Democratic legislator. They shared their analysis on the upcoming session and the issues on the table. Barber begins by suggesting the recent death of a former lawmaker may influence how leadership considers how it conducts business. I think that the death of Nolan Metatol um, last week really probably opened some eyes. He was a he was obviously a beloved legislator, uh, very close to current members uh, and those who work in the Capitol. And I, I, my gut is uh, when you, when you know somebody that closely who dies of uh, who dies and, and of course dies sadly died of COVID, that that probably made some of these members. Th- kind of question hey is this something we should do but we'll see what happens it's probably an everyday scenario and brandon we also had as many as 50 legislators become infected last spring over the over taking down the state flag and that action yeah uh, good morning karen we saw uh this summer what what can happen when uh hundreds of people are coming in and out of the capitol every day and, and let's face it, we, we just haven't figured out how to do this in a safe way. We, we keep talk, having those conversations across the country about what does it look like to have hundreds of people under one roof safely. Let's face it, science just doesn't support it. There's not a single epidemiologist at the state or national level that says that's a good idea. In Mississippi, our own experience left nearly one-third of all legislators contracting the virus last year. So I don't know what information a person might need addition to, additionally to what we already have to suggest that we don't need to do this. 
it always starts slowly in regard to action actually being taken. But will the big issues be laid out from day one? And do legislators know coming into a session what everybody else is going to focus on, what the major issues will be and where everybody stands on them? Well, there are two ways to answer that question, Karen. I think one of the first ways that you begin to pick up on what the agenda is for the governor and for the lieutenant governor and for the speaker is in their budget making. And so the governor puts out an executive budget, which are his budget recommendations. This year, our governor put out an executive budget that calls for a $3 million Patriot Education Fund. Um, so that tells us that the governor uh, wants to talk about a $3 million Patriotic Education Fund in a time of pandemic, and that's going to be a considerable budget fight, I think, if that moves forward. Um, we also know that there's a call to take out the Mississippi income tax. And so I think that that's a considerable proposal. Uh, what we see from the legislative budget, however, doesn't include either one of those things. And we have Lieutenant Governor Hoseman talking about a recommitment to uh, teacher pay raise. So those are kind of the that, that budget proposal process, Karen, gives us some insight into where the agenda might be. But to your question, will we know with clarity where this session is going on today or in a few weeks? The answer to that is no. Austin, when Tate Reeves ran for governor, one of the things he ran on was a teacher pay raise. In his proposed budget, he did not include a teacher pay raise. How do you think that's going to fly during the session this year? Uh, look, I, I, the lieutenant governor has said that the teacher pay raise is the first thing that he wants to address. Um, uh, the, the governor Reeves realizes because he held that job for eight years that the lieutenant governor and the speaker of the house are really going to control the agenda at the, at the state Capitol. And it's the governor's job to get in there and advocate and, and lobby uh, um, members for the issues that, that they support or they're against. Um, I, and look, I, I'm confident that the governor, just like um, the lieutenant governor, and, and I'm, I'm sure the speaker will, if he's not there this session, we'll see. I, I don't know because he has not said it publicly. Uh, will be fully in support of a, of a teacher pay raise. Uh, when Tate Reese was lieutenant governor, we had multiple teacher pay raises that he advocated and were passed during his eight years as lieutenant governor. So I just cannot see him being against that. Um, we'll have to see what that amount is. We'll have to see how quickly it is, and we'll we'll have to see. Um, where on the priority rankings that falls with uh, with the speaker and with the house? Um, there's no question that a teacher pay raise uh, will be a main priority and will probably fly out of the Senate um, within the first week or two. Brandon, you mentioned the governor um, wanting to do away with the state income tax, and and he did say that was down the road a ways and that it would be phased out. Is that something though the legislature will address this session? believe that um, the governor is is strong enough voice in that legislature that if he puts something forward as one of his top three priorities, it has to get uh, some shrift during the session. And so, yeah, I think it'll be talked about. I will say this, Karen, you know, uh, we're, we're all on this call old enough to remember trickle down economics and voodoo economics. I, I don't know what the, the word is for the fantastical economic theory that's being proposed by our governor's office at a time when last year, just one year ago, we said we can't do what we want to do in the realms of uh, teacher pay. 
in the realms of roads and bridges, in the realm of mental health, in the realm of rural health care. So now we're going to take away a really big appreciable percentage of our revenue for our state and yet somehow maintain our commitment to these other programs that we say are important. Um, there's just not a whole lot that I see to support that in terms of economic theory. This sounds a lot like what happened in Kansas to me, a lot like what happened in Louisiana to me, and what those legislatures had to do after they took on proposals like this one was spend the next several sessions trying to figure out how to backtrack and make it up. Um, so this would be a huge revenue hit to our state. And how does that jive with the conversation we were just having about raising teacher pay with less revenue? The math just does not appear to work out. It's it's $1.9 billion. It's about 40% of the general fund is um, somewhere between 35 and 40% of the general fund is what our state income tax contributes to the general fund. It's a serious conversation. Tax reform should be discussed, should be debated. Uh, I, I, I mean, it would be a massive lift to get a bill like this passed in 2021. Um, but does that mean they shouldn't try? Does that mean they should not have the debate? Of course not. Um, so I, I, I am glad that the that the governor has put this forward um, to have this have this kind of conversation. But I love the idea to have this debate about serious tax reform um, because as conservatives, that's what we're supposed to be putting forth. It's a debate about this, and and um, and I think it's probably a, a uh, at least a two year debate before something moves on this. I, I would be really surprised to see it happening. Uh, in 2021, but who knows? Coming up, we continue our legislative preview by examining lawmakers' role in oversight and what issues our analysts believe should receive top priority. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For this new year, let's ditch the New Year's resolutions. On average, they only last about 30 days. Instead, let's commit to learn something new each and every day right here on MPB Think Radio. From health to finance and even Fido, MPB Think Radio is your daily source for news, information, and entertainment. So let's make this a year to remember with MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As lawmakers return to the state capitol for the new legislative session today, they'll be doing so following a year in which a number of state agencies were rocked by scandals. We continue our preview by examining lawmakers' role in oversight and what issues our analysts believe should receive top priority. It's staggering. The shenanigans and everything that went on there is just, it was despicable. Uh, Obviously, uh, the things that have been alleged uh, about DHS um, from years ago, using funds that are supposed to go to to go to kids, to go to poor kids and poor moms, it's despicable. I think I've used that word once, but it deserves to be used twice. Um, look, I, you, you asked the question: What should the role of the legislature be? 
I mean, I'd I'd really kind of defer to Brandon on this, he being a former legislature, but I would say the role of state government in general, whether you're an elected official or, you know, you are um, a state government employee who has some kind of oversight, should be to monitor all of these state dollars as best as you possibly can uh, without, without stopping the system to make sure the dollars are being spent correctly and efficiently. Brandon, this uh, fraud occurred over a period of years with both of these organizations, with both the Department of Human Services and MDOC. Isn't the legislature responsible in that? Shouldn't somebody be paying attention or at least closer attention? Yeah, yeah, there's no question you can make a strong case for that. I think um, in a state as small as ours and as poor as ours, to have these multi-million dollar scandals rock us on an almost annual basis. You heard Austin mention a moment ago, uh, you know, what we dealt with with the Department of Human Services last year. Now another major entity. Um, And this isn't the first time that MDOC has shown up on our radar in the last five years. Uh, Let's not forget our former commissioner is now serving a a stint in federal prison. Um, So Mississippi, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say, Karen, leads the league in uh, outsized scandal at this point in America's history. And we should all feel some sense of responsibility to that, and especially our legislature should. Um, Their answer last year, let's just talk about this, though. What the legislature did last year, after there were millions of dollars stolen from children through the Department of Human Services, was they passed a punitive law that said anyone applying for special services should be subject to an audit of their tax returns. So I I would like your listeners to think about that for a second. This legislature has shown itself to be totally unwilling and incapable to step into any true accountability rule. And so I agree, yes, accountability should be laid at the feet of these folks, and they should take that role very seriously. But we have not seen that yet. What we have seen is more kind of sugar high, do some type of feel-good thing in the moment that plays to their political base but really doesn't address the real issue. Let me ask you both finally, what would you like or expect to see uh, the biggest focus or push, Brandon, obviously, I'll ask you from the Democratic point of view, even though it may not gain a lot of traction. Well, I think, Karen, we might see an exception to that this year in the form of meaningful parole reform. Um, that was a, an issue that, uh, you know, was was at top of minds last year before other issues, rightfully so, moved it off. The flag kind of bumped it out of the way. And and other uh, concerns surrounding the pandemic did. But Senate Bill 2123, uh, many of your listeners will recall, was passed overwhelmingly in the House, overwhelmingly in the Senate, before it was ultimately vetoed by the governor. And what that bill would have done was create a path to parole for thousands of people currently incarcerated in Mississippi prisons. That is so crucial to hold out hope for people who are serving time, to give them some pathway back into society. Not to mention the fact that in a state like Mississippi, where we spend an inordinate amount of money incarcerating people, it would give tremendous relief to our state's budget, which we desperately need. You know, we talked about MDOC a moment ago. We are overrun in our prisons and we are desperately understaffed. And so creating a path to parole would be sound moral policy, but it would also be sound fiscal policy. And I think you'll see Democrats and Republicans hopefully working across the aisle to see if we can get a package together that the governor will sign. 
Austin, same question to you. Yeah, I, I have two issues just personally to me that I that I would love to see uh, progress happen at the, at the Capitol this year. And it's sort of no particular order, but I'll go first with our small businesses have just been walloped over the past year because of the restrictions that have been placed on them um, because of because of covid. Um, many of them have either closed or are barely hanging on. And I don't have any specific ideas right now of what can we do from a state government perspective. Obviously, the federal government is the lead driver here because uh, the power of the, the purse strings at the federal level are much greater. But the, what are little things that we can do from a state government side to help these small businesses who, again, are just barely surviving in, in prosperous towns in, in Mississippi and in, and in, in rural poor towns in Mississippi. Um, th- th- that is sort of number one. And I'd say number two would be, uh, let's get the, let's, let's get the teacher pay raise across the finish line. Um, we owe it to teachers, um, not just because we owe it to them, but because of the job that they do every single day, uh, particularly in tough times that they've had to deal with because of COVID. I can't imagine how difficult it would be. I know my kids, uh, when they go to school every day, I think about their teachers and, you know, the worry and concern that those teachers probably mostly just put in the back of their mind so they can focus on educating their students. So for, you know, our, 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 our public school teachers, what can we do uh, from a state perspective um, to enhance their pay more? Um, because obviously, you know, we'll probably never be able to pay them truly what they're what they fully deserve. Austin Barber is a Republican and political strategist. Brandon Jones is a Democrat and attorney and former state legislator. Thank you both for all your thoughts this morning. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Happy New Year. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.